It's my privilege to be filling in for Pastor Dan while he's just enjoying some rest. And uh, last year I spoke, it was my first time, I uh, talked on um, salvation and you guys were so great to me. You guys just gave me so many words of encouragement. My anxiety level went from wanting to throw up to now I'm small panic attacks and pacing. So... (laughs) You guys are so good to me. Um, you, I really should see me in the office before I get on stage. It's a mess. But, um, and I have to say, I'm sorry. I'm getting over something. I think we all have the holidays lingering upon us. So bear with me. But uh, because of just my anxiety and just the, my voice, will you guys pray for me and I'll pray for our time together? Let's do that. Jesus, thank you so much for this church. And God, I just ask that our time right now, we would turn our focus on you and that the words that we see would speak into our hearts. And God, that you would use these words to equip us to be better saints, God. That you equipped us to help with the work of the ministry, God. That you would equip us so that we can experience more of who you are, God. And that we can see that you are a loving father that wants to bless his kids. We are so grateful for all you do. We just ask you to be with us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Awesome. Well, Romans chapter 12 is where I'm going to ask you to turn to. And if you haven't made your way there, go ahead and do so. And while you're doing that, I wanted to kind of run through what I was thinking about teaching today. Because last year I talked on salvation. And so then I was like, well, if we talked to someone through salvation, and recently we've actually had some people accept Christ this last Christmas Eve, we had a few people. And so maybe it'd be really beneficial for us to learn what's that mean? Because when you accept Christ, that salvation, you are making a commitment to Christ. And so today I want to talk to you about a commitment to Christ. And it does apply to all of us because at one point you're going to help lead someone to Christ and you're going to want to help coach them along. And the other thing that we notice is the fact that our commitment to Christ is not on this grand scale, this macro level, this big size. It plays out on our everyday life. It's on a micro scale. We do it daily. We interact with our commitment to Christ. And I bet for some of you, you may have had experience of a contention against your commitment to Christ on a daily scale. Because maybe you've described a period of time of your relationship with him as stale, as dry, that it plateaued, you hit a ceiling. It's not like how it started. And I can tell you, it's about that commitment that you're working with, because that's my story. At 14, <laughs> at 14, I had become a believer, and I would go to different events around the state of Virginia, and these events were put on to kind of bring in worship bands and these different speakers and pastors, and it was just a time to refresh my soul for me, honestly but I loved it so much. And during this one special occasion, there was a speaker and he was saying what it would be like to give your life to the ministry and what it would mean to be a pastor. And the whole time he's talking through this whole thing, I'm like, yes, this is what I want. I want to do this. I was in with him, right? And he goes, I just want to stop. And if anybody would say, yes, this is what you want to do, you would commit your life to Christ. I want to stop, I want you to stand up, and I want uh, to pray over you, right? In a room, about 20,000 of us, about a couple hundred of us, maybe a thousand, stood up, and this guy prayed over us to be committing our lives to the ministry. 
Now, this commitment I continued with, but at one point, you know, fast forward to my college years, and I decided I did not want to go into ministry. I uh, thought, you know, I would never be able to provide for my family. I don't want to deal with all the work that goes with it. And I ran from the idea of being in ministry like it was a burning building. I jetted out of any capacity to do that. Now, I was still a believer and I was doing the things that a believer does, but it was more obligatory because what I came to experience was I had a commitment, I was asked by God to do something, and I didn't, and things just went quiet. And I hit that staleness plateau, things became dry, and it wasn't until I found Calvary. My first Sunday was at the high school. Pastor Dan was teaching Genesis, he was in chapter one, verse one, and I fell in love with our church that day. I love the fact that we went through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we did it in a modern way where it spoke to me. And it wasn't until Pastor Dan got to uh, Genesis chapter 12 that he was talking about Abraham and how God had spoken to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave your relatives and go to this land of your fathers that I've called you to, right? And then the next verse is, in the, and then the Lord spoke to Abraham. But the what most people don't pick up on is most commentators agree that there is a period of 25 years between what God asked Abraham to do and when then God spoke to him again. A 25-year period of silence because Abraham did not do it. And Pastor Dan, with the Holy Spirit speaking right through him, said this. He said, if you haven't heard the Lord speak to you in a very long time, you got to go back to the last thing he told you to do and go do that. And I tell you, it was like I got time warped into my mind and there I am standing in this arena going, yes, I will commit my life to Christ. I will commit myself to the ministry. This is what I will do. And it was from that point on that I chose not to look back. I chose to change everything about my circumstances and uh, fast forward, here I am today. And it's, uh, it's been a blessing, but it took me the time to realize what my commitment is and to listen to what God said to me. And I believe that's why it'll be so beneficial for you as we work through this text together today, because I believe that there are things that God is asking us to do, places he's asking us to go, to experience something we never thought we could imagine, right? And that's what we're going to walk through today. So let's pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1. Every time I elongate a word, I want you to go ahead and underline it. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, you are Bible scholars, you're Bible students, we're having a Bible study. So there are certain words that you love. You love the word therefore, because every time you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it there for? So all right, we're gonna try that again. Every time you see the word therefore, you ask, very good. It's therefore because Paul has just spent 11 chapters discussing theology. Theology is the stuff that we believe as Christians. It's big topics. And so Paul's going, 
all of these large scale things that I've just spoken to you, I'm now calling the mercies of God and I want you to consider these things. Therefore, all of these large things that I've just discussed with you, I want you to consider these things. And who's the you that he's speaking to, right? Look at it, it says brethren. And notice on your outline, I put it there, the beginning of the book of Romans, chapter one, verse seven, it says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. So it's not the church leaders that are getting this message. And it's not the people that are like of the leadership of the church or those that just serve. It's for everybody. Brethren, in the sense of like, I have a brother. The thing we have in common is a mother. And so it's like, we're brethren. And it's like, you guys are brethren because we have a common trait that we are all believers. We're brethren. So it's a message for all of us today. There is something based on all that God has done for us that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, wants us to consider and to do something because of that. And what is it that he wants us to do? It says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, sometimes the Bible's hard to understand because they mention something that we're not familiar with, right? So animal sacrifices, hopefully you're not familiar with it. If We shouldn't be doing animal sacrifices today, right? And so, but let me give you a quick rundown of what animal sacrifices look like, right? And so you can find this in Leviticus 22, 19 to 25. But the idea is this, is that you would have somebody, let's say a sheep herder, right? And so he's got sheep. And this sheep herder would go to make a sacrifice to the temple. He would go to a priest and want to give this sheep there. But before he does that, he's got some groundwork to do. Because of his sheep, there's some stipulations. One, it's got to be a living sheep, right? He actually cannot bring a dead sheep, right? That's actually not right. And it can't be like, well, this one's dead. Might as well give it to them. It's going to get barbecued anyways. It's different, right? We're actually giving something God very distinguished here. And so we're giving this living sheep and then it's gotta be a holy sacrifice, right? So of all the sheep that he's looking at, he's like, that's a good one. That one will work for me, right? He has narrowed down, he's considered what he has and he acknowledges the fact that this is the best sheep that he can give God because the sheep also had to be acceptable, right? This sheep had to be acceptable, which meant that when the herder brought it to the priest, the priest would inspect the sheep and make sure that it wasn't blind, that it didn't have a broken leg, that it didn't have spots and defects. Like it actually had to be in great condition. It was the best he had to offer because if he couldn't offer that sheep, he's gonna either have to buy one there or he's gonna go back and get another sheep. And so he wants to do the groundwork. He considers what he has, he acknowledges it and he gives that. Now, when we consider what Paul's saying and we parallel that to ourselves, he says, I want you to present your bodies, right? If you're gonna present your body as a sacrifice, you are making a big commitment. When you're talking about your body, you're talking about all that we have. So write this down. Our commitment to Christ involves offering him all we have. Our commitment to Christ involves offering him all we have our bodies, our wholeness, everything inside of them, right? Because some people think when you accept Christ, it's kind of like making a mental acknowledgement. Like, I think that there is a God and he thinks I'm here and so we're in good condition. We're in great shape. That's not it, right? And it's not even just a spiritual thing where you just put it out there, right? It's not that either. What we do 
is we give ourselves entirely to Christ. And Jesus makes that clear on your outline, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. he says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. So it's not as just simple as to say, here's my body, but it's the fact is, is we have to acknowledge and consider the each component. God, I love you, and so I give you my mind. God, I love you, and so I give you my heart. God, I love you, and so I give you my soul. God, I love you, and I give you my finances, my marriage, my job, my success. We consider all of these things. So write this down. When we commit ourselves to Christ, we consider and acknowledge what we're giving him. When we commit ourselves to Christ, we consider and acknowledge what we're giving him. Because remember, what the animal had to be was holy sacrifice acceptable to God. So you have to be very intentional about what you're giving him because it had to be the best. So write this down. What we give Christ is intentionally our best. What we give Christ is intentionally our best. And as we are doing this, as we are considering all that God has done for us and we are offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, the scripture tells us, this is your spiritual service of worship. Now, I like actually the New King James Version better. It says, and it's on your outline, it says, which is your reasonable service. And I put the word spiritual there as it's translated out. It's from the Greek, it's logikos, where it means agreeable to reason, following reason, reasonable, logical. Our spirituality is something that is logical because write this down. Considering all that God has done for us, our commitment to Christ is reasonable. Considering all that God has done for us, our commitment to Christ is reasonable. He's given us our salvation. He created our world. He's blessed us in many ways. It's reasonable for us to commit ourselves to Christ. It's reasonable for us to do these things. Now, Paul wants to elaborate on how this commitment looks. And so he does that in verse two. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but, and either like circle or double on, underline that word, make some sort of indication there. And then it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, as Bible scholars, there's other words that you like, and you like conjunctive words. I didn't do well in English, but I'm going to do the best that I can. Conjunctions tie two ideas and clauses together, right? And so, but, yet. But is one of those words that ties the clauses together, but they are in contrast to one another, right? Let me give you an example. I love strawberry frosted donuts. They're the greatest donuts in the world. But I'm eating healthy because it's the new year, right? The ideas that are being contrasted is the fact that strawberry frosted donuts are incredibly delicious and everybody should think that they're the greatest donut out there. But if you are having a healthy diet at this time, it does not meet the dietary requirements of something that is substantial for someone that is eating healthy, right? Those two ideas contend with one another. Donuts are great, but you're eating healthy, shouldn't have them, right? Contention. The same thing's happening within the text. What are the two things that are in contention with one another? 
It says, conform to the world and transform by the renewing of your mind. These two things are in contention with one another. So what does conformed mean? I want you to think, when you think of conformed, I want you to think of fashion, right? You see somebody out there in the street and you go, oh, that looks nice. But I try that on, huh? Doesn't that look nice? You know, and you see something and you go, oh, put that on. That makes me look really good, right? You've seen something and you've taken it onto you, right? Fashion. And so what people sometimes do is they see things like hope and they go, oh, I wonder if that'll give me hope. And they put that on. And then some other people, oh, I wonder if that'll give me joy. And they put that on, right? Conformed. That's not what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to be transformed. And what does the word transformed mean? In the original language, it comes from the word metamorpho, which means to be completely different. So it's not putting something on, but it's being something radically different. It's nowhere near the same. Those two are in contention with one another, looking like the world and being completely different. And how are we transformed? The text says, by the renewing of your mind. Now, when I went through this section of scripture with Pastor Dan a couple years ago, he had me write down renovating below the word renewing because that's also a great rendering of that word. And I like it really well because it helps us understand exactly what the text's saying. Anybody involved in uh, home renovations? Anybody have done that in their home? Okay, I see a couple of hands. So some of us have gone through the painstaking process of renovating. For those that you haven't, allow me to elaborate on what renovating looks like, right? What you've done is you have now acquired a space, right? And you see this space and you go, what in the world were they thinking? <sighs> and you come up with something and you go, because that what is right there is broken. It does not work, it is bad. And so when you renovate it, You take what is there, right? And you completely remove it because it is bad, broken, and wrong. And you put what's in its place is new and different, right? You do not have to renovate something if it is right to begin with. But you renovate something, you remove it entirely into something completely different because it's better when you put it in its place. You renovate it that way. And so write this down. Our commitment to Christ requires us to think differently than the world. Our commitment to Christ requires us to think differently than the world. Paul makes this so clear in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 on your outline. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So write this down. We can either think like the world or we can think like Christ, but we cannot do both. We can either think like the world or we can think like Christ, but we cannot do both. And so I don't know about you, but it makes me beg the question, well, then how do I think like Christ? You know, it's like he's not right here, but so how do I do that? So three points to help us think like Christ. Point A, write this down. Spending time daily in the Bible. Spending time daily in the Bible. It says in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. 
So if I'm spending time daily in the Bible, I am spending time with Jesus. I am spending time with God. If I am trying to align my thoughts to where Christ is, nothing will do me better than aligning myself with what the Word says because it's truth. It's who Jesus is. And then the other thing we should do, write this down, daily taking time to to talk to God in prayer daily taking time to talk to God in prayer. The psalmist says in 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him, who call on him in truth. You want to call to God in truth? Use the scriptures that will help you because when you're in a bad time financial, you say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, And when you are nervous about the situation that you're currently in, you say, my God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We use the truth to help us talk to God, and it helps us align ourselves. And then the third point, write this down, regularly being around believers. Regularly being around believers. In groups, on Sunday, That's what we want to do. The Bible is so clear about how we help one another. It says two are better than one. We hear the fact that iron sharpens iron. Hebrews talks about in verse uh, chapter 10, 25 on your outline, not forsaking our own assembling together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So write this down. We think like Christ when we put into practice habits that help our relationship. We think like Christ when we put into practice habits that help our relationship. And as you're renovating your mind and you're putting in the right things and you're practicing these habits, what's amazing is what takes place next. It says that you may prove what the will of God is. You begin to think like Christ. And there are people that are often going, you know, what, what should God, what do I do in my life? What, what does God want for me? You want to know what God wants for you? As you are participating in God's word and you're spending time talking to him and you're around other believers, it, you begin to think like that. You begin to reveal it on your own because the Holy Spirit is working through you. You can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect you can understand exactly what God wants for your life. You can see people in a different light. You see them with the love of God rather than the way that we get frustrated sometimes. Because the truth of the matter is is this. Write this down. If we don't fill ourselves with Christ, the world takes his place. If we don't fill ourselves with Christ, the world takes his place. We have a natural tendency to be sinners before saints. We have a natural tendency to run from God. And it's not something new, right? You guys know the uh, come thou fount of every blessing? Steve, can you put that up on the screen for us? All right, my voice is not good right now, so I need your help, but here we go. Let's do this together. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, 
Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the... So this isn't something new to us, right? This has been sung about. We understand it. We get the fact that we have to fill ourselves with Christ. And ultimately, this is what happens. Write this down. By thinking like Christ, we experience a greater relationship with him. By thinking like Christ, we experience a greater relationship with him. It is amazing the people you will meet, the interactions you will have, the places you will go when you think like Christ. When you ask, what would he do in this situation? And Paul now expands on this thought process, moving into verse three. He says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. Paul wants to be clear. Just because you might be able to think like Christ does not elevate you in some capacity. If anything, because you can think like Christ, if you were to have sound judgment, you would consider all who Christ is, all that God has done, and you would want to help the other people that have not, don't, do not think like Christ, that do not have what you have. And so write this down. Our commitment to Christ connects us to Christ's mission. Our commitment to Christ connects us to Christ's mission. If we were to have sound judgment and we consider the facts we would understand the fact of who God is, that he said, whosoever would believe, they can have eternal life. That he's a loving father that wants to give good gifts to his kids. That he's the kind of father that if you were to ask him for a stone or a piece of bread, he does not turn around and give you a stone. That's who he is. That's in his nature of who he is. And so if we were to have sound judgment, thinking about who he is, we understand that he wants people to be blessed. Pastor Dan, this Christmas Eve, talked about the immense joy of the message we have. It's a blessing. It's not to be a burden or anything else. It's to lead us to this place to have a phenomenal relationship with Jesus Christ. And just a side note, write this down. We can fulfill our commitment to Christ because he has given us a measure of faith. We can fulfill our commitment to Christ because he has given us a measure of faith. No one in this room should walk out today feeling inadequate about their spirituality, their relationship with Jesus, because you have a measure of faith. You can read the Bible and receive something from it because you have a measure of faith. You can spend time talking to God because you have a measure of faith. And you can go outside and you can share your faith with someone because you have a measure of faith. God is a good God. He wants to equip us with all that we need. He wouldn't leave us in an inadequate place. What we've received is a blessing. And the goal having sound judgment is to bless other people. Now there's some times where you just feel like you're not ready yet. It's not there just remember what James 4, 8 says. It says, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Draw near to the Lord. Just take a step and God will show up too. It just starts with us taking our step. 
Now, Paul's going to shift because he wants us to understand, hey, when we have this commitment to Christ, it impacts, it connects us to a mission because we have sound judgment. So we're all working together because God doesn't want to do work through one busy person, but he wants to do things through a body of believers. And so this is what we understand. Verse four, we're picking it up. For just as we, having many members in one body, and all of the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one another. So considering all that God has done for us in the view of his mercies, and we commit ourselves to him, it's reasonable for us to take an active role in Christ's body. So write this down. Our commitment to Christ connects us to a church body. Our commitment to Christ connects us to a church body. No one should be doing Christianity by themselves. That's not how it's designed to be. It should be a part of a church body. And Paul makes that clear. He was talking about this idea of commitment and now he has brought it down to talking to us, we. And we take an active role in it. And so here's the functions, the active role that we do. It's in verses six, seven, and eight. Verse six, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberty, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Write this down. Our commitment to Christ involves us using our giftedness for the church. Our commitment to Christ involves us using our giftedness for the church. The implication's clear. He's talking to believers, all believers. It's not just for leaders or those that serve. And he uses the word functions. That implies we all take that active role. And it's clear that it's for the church. And Paul makes that very clear in Galatians 6.10. He says, so then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially those of the household of faith. So it, it, it would be, it'd be a lot of fun to kind of break down each of the areas on how the gifts work and how it coincides with the committedness of Christ, but we just don't have that type of time, so we're going to move along forward. And we're actually going to run into this section of Scripture that deals a lot with um, disciplines that we take because of our commitment to Christ. Now, as I read them, as I was going through them, it was just a hard pill to swallow for me. Like I, I was convicted of a lot. And so as I read through these sections of scriptures, we're gonna just kind of go through them together. And I'm not gonna to try to add any additional commentary, but just add a little bit of clarity. Um, but the thing that we wanna take away from this is this. Write this down. Our commitment to Christ builds up relationships with others. Our commitment to Christ builds up relationships with others. And the others here is our family, our friends, our frenemies, our enemies, anyone and everyone, okay? So as we're clear and we're moving forward, let's pick it up in verse nine. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. 
And since we don't use the word abhorring that much, that is the idea of keeping it at a distance from yourself. And we pick that up as we see the adverse of clinging to what's good, holding it close to us. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. And devoted to prayer there simply means the idea of it's constantly about you. you, you the verses in the Bible talk about pray without ceasing. It's on your mind. It's what you do. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And the word there, bless, from the original language, it would be the same word where we would get the word eulogy at a funeral when you're speaking good over someone. So in the midst of someone persecuting us, offending us, our responsibility is to then speak good words over that person. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be of the same mind towards one another, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This last part we're going to work through together. So have, with your pen in hand, underline, never take your own revenge beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord of hosts. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, giving, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. God bless to us the reading of his word. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This last section of scripture always messed with me when I was a younger believer. What in the world is it saying? Because it's like, I have this person that's coming against me. He is my foe. He is offending me. And I am supposed to feed him and give him a drink and let God do his thing. And in doing so, that heaps burning coals on his head. Like, it's obviously not talking about burning coals. That's like a grotesque measure that would not be what the Bible would talk about. But the idea is that we have committed ourselves to be like Christ. And so in doing so, we would be doing so good to this person that they would become embarrassed and ashamed of themselves. And I don't know if you've ever gotten embarrassed or ashamed of yourself, but uh, when you do, adrenaline kicks in through your body, right? And then your heart starts pumping and then blood's going everywhere. And sometimes that blood rushes to your face. Your face gets red. You can see the flushness, the embarrassment on someone. And sometimes it's really hot, like burning coals have been heaped upon their head. And so the idea is that when you're doing so good to this person, you are allowing them to see the kindness of the Lord because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. This is not a manipulative goodness, like the kill him with kindness kind of thing. It is not that. This is straight up 
goodness to this person so that we can hopefully lead that person to the place of repentance. Because write this down. My commit, our commitment to Jesus has us act like him. Our commitment to Jesus has us act like him. It's about being actually a good person. It's not about being vindicated and justified because get this, my son and I were at a playground, right? And my son comes running up to me crying in tears. Some kid had taken his toy and pushed him down, right? And what welled up inside of me was the wrath of God that was unfolding on this kid that did this to my son, right? And if you consider the fact that that's what God experiences when he says, vengeance is mine. When you, when you consider what would be laid waste to this individual because God's gonna do it, right? We can easily consider the fact to bless someone because God helped that person. And then, you know what? Having sound judgment, considering all that God has done for us, it would be so much more like of us to be like Christ to bless that person. And we can easily bless that person if they don't know Jesus because they need to know Jesus or they're gonna experience something so much worse. Having sound judgment, we would want to be as much like Jesus in that situation as possible. You know, it's coming to a new year. So we have decisions that we typically make and evaluate. And I would say, let's consider the fact that we make a commitment to Christ, that it's played out every day, that it changes all of who we are, that it changes our thoughts, that we consider and acknowledge what we've given to our God and we allow it to not only impact us, but impact the people around us, the church that we come to. Because there are people that need this message and it'll only come through us. And maybe you're like me and at one point you stopped listening and God asked you to do something, go somewhere, say something. And it's time for you to go back to the last thing he said for you to do. Go do that. Because having sound judgment, you deserve a great relationship with our God. You deserve to experience the best that he has to offer you because he's a loving father that wants to give good gifts. You deserve that. Let me close with us in prayer. Jesus, we just thank you, God, for all that you have done for us, for all the mercy and grace that you have lavished upon us, God. But would you, would you please just place that on our heart? Would you allow those things to be so clear to us that we don't forget them? that it would be easier for us to move forward when you ask us to do something. God, would you help us to surround ourselves with people that we can show the mercy of God to? God, we are so grateful for the work that you're doing in this church. We ask that you would continue to bless this place, allow the word to be taught here to equip us so that we can be used by you to do greater things for your kingdom, God. 
Thank you for all that you're doing. Be with us until we meet again. And we lift this up in your son's precious name. Amen.